A trans volleyball player, a.k.a. bio male, posts a questionable highlight reel. An Ohio judge went completely off the rails. And a big, fat Kanye-sized, I told you so. I'll crown my losers of the week. Then let's dive into the nation's report card and compute just how much damage the pandemic policies caused our nation's youth. Finally, Democrats are just fine making fun of stroke victims if they're Republican. And you know I have some thoughts that are final. The show starts now. Another week is almost behind us, which means Joe Biden has 815 days left in office. It's troubling, I know. And here's what else is troubling, my losers of the week. First up is, drum roll, please. Yay, Yeezus, Kanye West, jackass, whatever you want to call him, he's a loser, not just this week, but has been, in my opinion, for several years now. And I'm not for cancel culture, but I am for calling a spade a spade, a rat a rat, and a Kanye a seemingly anti-Semitic and unacceptable fool. And if you'll recall, I not only said this several weeks ago when he donned his attention-seeking and totally unhelpful White Lives Matter get-up, but I've been saying it since the day the conservative movement decided Kanye was somehow our celebrity poster child. In case you missed it, let me just remind you. I just don't think the Kanye basket is the basket the conservative movement should be placing our eggs in unless scrambled is how we want him to come out. And I've held this same opinion on Kanye since 2018. I just don't think he's the hill we should die on, conservatives. I hate to say I told you so, but I did. And if you haven't figured it out yet, he's not it, guys. And that's that. Moving on to loser two. Tank top and spandex shorts wearing Cleveland, or should I say former Cleveland Municipal Judge, Pinky S. Carr, who has been indefinitely suspended by the Ohio Supreme Court for a whole litany of bad behavior, including but not limited to falsifying court documents, disrespectful treatment, flat-out lying, and my personal favorite, wearing tank top, sneakers, and spandex shorts in court. Now, the court said the Honorable Miss Pinky also had a bench filled with trinkets, junk, dolls, and other bizarre items. She would discuss with staff and defendants alike a television show called P-Valley about a fictional Mississippi strip club. And in fact, she referred to her bailiff as Miss Puddin from P-Valley. She also reportedly joked about accepting kickbacks such as food, beverages, carpeting, or storage space in exchange for lenient sentences. And there's more. Investigators said Pinky conducted hearings without the prosecutor present, stating once, the prosecutor's not here, let's see how much we can get away with. She issued arrest warrants for defendants who didn't show up for court when the court was supposed to be closed and conducted her courtroom more like a game show than a damn court of law. Now, Judge Pinky S. Carr does sound like a good time, but is clearly unfit to hold any legal position, though I understand the bar these days is low. But anyway, on to loser three, a North Carolina trans volleyball player who not only spiked a ball into the face of her real female opponent, causing face and neck injuries, but then proceeded to post a clip of it to her YouTube college recruitment highlight reel. Oh my God. How loving. How tolerant. Now, I wish we could give this bio male trans player the benefit of the doubt that it was an accident for which he, she felt remorse. 
but posting it to a highlight reel to seemingly brag about it, well, enough said. Men competing as women in women's sports. What could go wrong, right? Good Lord, and those are my losers of the week. But still ahead, two decades of academic progress in reading and math among fourth and eighth graders has been squashed thanks to COVID pandemic policies. Shocker, let's discuss next. The report card is in and it's not looking good for American students. Two decades of academic progress in reading and math among fourth and eighth graders has been squashed thanks to COVID pandemic policies. According to the nation's report card, scores for American students in these grades are at their lowest in nearly 20 years. And no state saw a statistically significant increase in any category. Boy, I wonder if forced remote learning, forced masking, teachers union tantrums, and woke curriculum changes had anything to do with it. Let's find out. Joining me now is the Director of the Education and Workforce Development Task Force, Andrew Handel. All right, Andrew, this is not good news. I think all of us knew that this was coming, but just how bad is this? I mean, 20 years of progress down the tubes. It doesn't sound good. Yeah, it's not. 20 years. I mean, I think we... We all expected to see some uh, some learning loss. We all expected to see these test scores come down after the pandemic. Um, but boy, I think even the experts uh, were stunned at the amount of learning loss that we ended up seeing here. Two decades worth of academic progress in fourth and eighth grade reading and math wiped out in just the course of two years. Yeah, and it's almost difficult to see how we're going to make up for that, given the fact that once you lose those years, unless you go and repeat them, you're put into the next grade and they right. don't have the skills from the earlier grades. So I don't know what the solution is here. I mean, better schools might be one, but for parents that can't afford to send their kids to charter schools or private schools, what do they do if they notice that their children are struggling in school? Yeah, well, you know, I think, um, you know, the silver lining to all of this is just last year, we saw over a third of the states either create or expand new programs in what we like to call education freedom. And all that means is just centering the role of parents, uh, making sure that uh, a variety of different educational options are available to them, but also making sure that um, finances don't necessarily get in the way. So for low and middle income families, exactly as you just mentioned, who maybe can't afford tuition at a private school, um, you know, we really want to make sure that they've got the resources uh, in place to be able to make that a reality. So, you know, and so that's the great news here. You know, that's the silver lining is uh, states are actively trying to tackle this and uh, turn this ship around. Yeah, and that's great for parents that do choose that and parents that are actively involved and want to give their kids a better future. But I always think about some of the kids that aren't so lucky to have active parents, some parents that just essentially send their kids to school as a babysitting mechanism, and then these schools are performing poorly. It's great if parents are like, hey, school choice, let's send them to a better school, let's get them in a better, better program. But what about the schools that are left over that are performing poorly? What is the solution there, if any, to make sure that those kids don't fall through the cracks like they have in so many other areas of their life? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I think the great thing about opening up all these other options to parents is you gradually start to get some of those kids in the public schools right now out of there and into other methods, whether that be virtual schools, charter schools, private schools, magnet schools, home schools, the list goes on. Um, but that gradually helps to reduce those class sizes. And it actually 
when we talk about these programs and you know the money following the student, um, it's it's only the state portion of funding that follows the student away. So these schools get to keep all of the local money and the federal money that would have otherwise been spent on that student who's now left. So you actually see the amount of funding in these public schools per pupil go up. So um, you know I think that's the uh, the other advantage here to these uh, to these education freedom programs is. Uh, you know, reducing those class sizes, increasing the per pupil spending ultimately helps these schools that are failing um, perform better. Yeah, that's that's great to hear because reduced class sizes certainly helps. If you have good teachers, they can work around a number of limitations. I think another thing that a lot of parents are concerned about that I'm certainly concerned about is the teaching workforce as it stands. Now, I don't want to discredit teachers at all. There's so many wonderful teachers. I would say the majority of teachers are in the profession because they truly do want to help kids learn and they're there for the right reasons. But you do have a fringe element that unfortunately I believe is growing of teachers that are not necessarily necessarily there to teach reading, writing, math. They're there to indoctrinate students with a woke curriculum, with CRT and things of that nature. What would you suggest and what would your your counsel suggest for parents who are noticing that creeping into their schools? How do they get rid of it? Yeah, yeah. Well, you you, you make a great point there. Um, I was just checking, you know, before I got on here, I was just checking the American Federation for Teachers website. And, uh, you know, interestingly, interestingly enough, uh, Randy Weingarten could, uh, you know, find the time to go out to Ukraine and uh, take that trip. But there's no mention of these test scores that came out this week. Um, you know, so to your point exactly, I think the vast majority of teachers are great at their jobs. They're there because they love it. Um, but it is really unfortunate that these unions have, you know, kind of, you know, steered the conversation away from quality learning and more towards politics. Um, but, you know, when it comes to solutions, um, you know, our website, alec.org, it's aoec.org. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of different model policies that we use. Um, so our uh, our membership is comprised of both private sector members as well as state lawmakers. And uh, so those model policies are options for state policymakers who want to bring more education freedom into their states. They're options for parents who can pull those model policies and show them to their local elected officials and say, this is what we need to be doing. We just hope that parents are active and we hope that, you know, our educators are active and wanting to find solutions because this is bad. This is a stain on America. I mean, we've been doing poorly compared to the rest of the world for years now, but now when you force kids into remote learning, I mean, most of those kids weren't paying attention. The teachers weren't really paying attention. It's just not the environment that a lot of people need. Some kids, unfortunately, don't have a great uh, safer at home environment to be in when they were stuck at home for two plus years. Then they go to school, they have to wear masks. I mean, the developmental challenges that that had on young students, not being able to see, not being able to see verbalizations. I mean, that's problematic all the way around. Last thing I want to talk to you about, though, is the older kids. I want to talk about student loan debt just a little bit because there's been a lot of discussion about it. You know, President Biden earlier this week, he kind of flubbed on that. Who was going to pay for it? Was it actually constitutional? You know, we're going to see this play out. But I want to get your take. I know that you're focused on education. We want kids to go to college. But would you say that as it stands now, a university education with the price tag that comes with it is still worth it for young people? Yeah, well, you know, I think it depends on everyone's situation. Um, you know, one thing that we really don't emphasize nearly enough in this country right now is uh, career and tech schools, vocational schools. Um, you know, there's 
a lot of those options, which might consist of two years of education at half the price, annual price of a regular four-year college. Um, so, you know, I think emphasizing those more, but you know, really to your point, um, the federal government's involvement in this uh, in the market for student loans is really what drove these prices up in the first place. It, it amounts to a giant subsidy for these colleges and universities uh, because the federal government is essentially saying to every single student in the country, we'll, we'll give you a loan. We, we don't care what the amount is. We'll, we'll dish it out. And so the incentive for those uh, institutions of higher education is just to drive prices further and further up. So, um, you know, obviously it's, you know, the president's proposal to forgive those student loans uh, presents a massive, massive problem. It's just going to cause even more inflation cause prices to go even higher uh, in higher education. Yeah, people that don't like those high tuition tags, they're not doing themselves any favor by cheering for the almighty government. And then I'd also say this, you know, I think it's one thing if we were forgiving loans for people that were coming out as productive members of society. But when you've got these kids coming out with women's studies and, you know, the history of trans basket weaving degrees, it really doesn't do the workforce a whole lot of good when we actually need people out there with skills. So I'm not forgiving any of that crap. If you want to learn that stuff, go to TikTok. I'm not paying for it. Uh, Overall, though, I know it's a, it's a dim outlook, but I hope that it will be a wake-up call because sometimes things need to get so bad before they reverse, and that is also what I'm hoping will happen on November 8th. God bless. Thank you so much for being with us, and hopefully we can have you back and we'll start seeing things get a little bit better, or at the very least, maybe we just have some people in office that actually give a damn. Thanks so much for being with me. All right, still ahead, it's obvious to anyone paying attention that John Fetterman is not okay, and we have every right to question it. My final thoughts are next. If you're running for public office, your physical and mental state is fair game for questioning, criticism, and speculation, period. And let's all be freaking honest. John Fetterman, similar to Joe Biden, is not okay, and it's time for final thoughts. It's one of the most contentious, important, and closely watched races in all of the upcoming midterm elections, Pennsylvania's Senate race. Earlier this week, candidates John Fetterman and Mehmet Oz debated on stage for the world to see, and what the world saw was that Fetterman is not well. He's refused to release his full medical records, but those may not be even necessary. Take a look. Oh, uh, I, I, I do support fracking, and I don't... I don't I support fracking and I stand and I do support fracking. We all have to make sure that everyone that works is able to, that's, that's the most American bargain, that if you work full time, you should be able to live in dignity as well, true. And I believe they haven't have any businesses being, being uh, everybody in Braddock, uh, an overwhelmingly majority uh, community of, of black uh, community all understood what happened. You know, they uh, they understood what happened and everybody agreed that and nobody believes that it was anything about me making a split second decision to, to defend our community. Uh, uh, that, that's like he, uh, he got his Pennsylvania right, house from his own inlays from a, a dollar. Mr. That's Fetterman, typical. we have to. Okay, so Fetterman suffered a stroke in May, and I think it goes without saying that regardless of how we feel about his politics, we feel for him. Anyone who's had a family member who suffered a stroke knows it's tragic and the road to recovery is not an easy one. Again, I feel for him, for his family, and I pray for his health. 
But should the man be running to hold public office, let alone a coveted Senate seat? No, the answer is no. And it's quite frankly selfish of him to continue to vie for a seat he is not capable of holding. That's not mean-spirited, that's a fact and the reality. Get used to it. Hell, even MSNBC's rabid leftist Joe Scarborough admitted Fetterman is obviously impaired. Even through lib, woke, colored glasses, it's apparent. But unlike Joe Scarborough, who had a moment of honesty, some liberal talking heads just can't quite make it there. Look no further than the blowhards that make up ABC's The View. All of a sudden, they have declared with zero authority, mind you, that Fetterman's stroke, his health, his cognitive ability is off limits. Come again? It was really strange to me that he chose to bully a stroke victim. Yeah, exactly. right. Like he obviously was bullying him, and um, you know I don't think the people of Pennsylvania or the people in general um, liked that. The Republican yeah. Party is running a bunch of ads about showing Fetterman you know, st uh, stumbling on things because of the stroke. Mm -hmm. What kind of a doctor is behind that? Aren't you supposed to do no harm? It's so mm -hmm. unempathetic to the guy. You know. But here's the best part of this whole charade, this whole double standard hag circus. These ladies, and I use that term loosely, had absolutely zero issue making fun of Ron DeSantis and Herschel Walker for, you guessed it, a stroke punchline. I just wanted to add on the Fetterman conversation. Yeah, yeah. That what makes the Republicans think that Herschel Walker is coherent and he hasn't had a stroke? <laughs> to you what Herschel Walker said on, on climate change. Mm -hmm. He said, we don't control the air. Our good air decided to float over to China's bad air. Okay, that, that's, that's a very valid oh, point. Okay. It's about the good air and the bad air. But you know, this guy, uh, DeSantis, has the charisma of this cup, okay? Yeah. I think when, 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 when Chris says, are you going to run in 2024, yeah. he looks like he has a, he's having a stroke. He can't even answer that simple question. The double standard is the only standard those ladies uphold. Joy Blowhard Behar wasn't talking about the actual mental capabilities of Herschel Walker or Ron DeSantis. She was making fun of them and stroke victims as a joke, a joke in very poor taste. Meanwhile, the rest of us are not making fun of Fetterman. We are legitimately and rightfully discussing his health and his inability to string words together, let alone function as an elected official. And just like we have every right to question Sleepy Joe for his slipped cog, we have every damn right to question Fetterman. None of that is off limits. As soon as you throw your hat in the ring and run for public office, you don't get kid gloves because you're a Democrat. Sorry. And I say this as someone who honestly does not like Dr. Oz and does believe he's a fake and a phony. Pennsylvania has two bad choices, so now they're going to have to pick the TV doctor or the stroke victim who is not well. It's really a disservice to the state, and for that I send you my thoughts, prayers, and my final thoughts. From Nashville, God bless and take care.